Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And Father, if it were not for that last fruit, none of us would be here. And we're so thankful for this reality of Your faithfulness. Lord, thank You for the reminders of what our Savior suffered on our behalf. Lord, the answer to Jesus' own question, why have You forsaken Me, is because You didn't forsake us. What a humbling reality that is. Lord, we are the ones that deserve to be forsaken of God. We're thankful for Your desire and Your choice and Your purpose to give us Your life and to share that life with You. Lord, we're thankful that we have Your Word. We pray now that You'd bless it to us. Grant liberty by Your Spirit to proclaim it, to hear it, to receive it. We would be helped in this most precious reality of Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to talk about faithfulness today. And uh, this is fruit number seven there of uh, nine fruits listed here in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And as I've stated before, this is not an exhaustive list by Paul. It's only pertinent to what Paul is addressing here to these Galatians. And I, I thought it'd be good to briefly remind us um, what Paul is addressing and why we are going through these fruits one at a time. And Paul is Paul is seeking to answer the questions that he lays out there at the beginning of chapter three, here in verse in chapter five, rather. Questions designed to remind these Galatians how it is their union with Jesus Christ began. It began through spirit empowered faith. And Paul would have them understand that the continuance of their union with Jesus Christ and living out the rest of their Christian lives is a hundred percent reliant upon that very same thing. Spirit-empowered faith. The Spirit of God working in them and through them. Some of them were being persuaded that they needed to subject themselves to the Mosaic Law and begin practicing law as a means of completing or perfecting the work of God in them, essentially relying upon the law as, as the means for their sanctification or, or full inclusion as the people of God. Paul, startled by this, by such a proposition, he calls them foolish there beginning in chapter 3, and then he peppers them with these series of rhetorical questions that are, have very clear implications in their answers to the answer. Uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it's very clear what the answer is to this, this, this question. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, the obvious answer here is they received the Spirit by hearing with faith. Uh, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Very, the very clear implication here is that the Christian life is to be carried out and finished, as it were, not by flesh, which Paul is actually equating to law here, but by the Spirit. Verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, the very clear implication is that the Spirit of God is the one who supplied this faith that they possess. And the Spirit of God is the one who worked all the miracles in their midst that they witnessed to, they were privy to, and that they were privileged to experience as a church. Law-keeping played no part in that whatsoever. And so starting in verse 6, Paul begins to answer his own questions by reaching back into redemptive history, proving by Scripture, starting with Abraham asserting that faith has always been the means of spiritual union between God and His people, as we heard earlier. And in this new covenant age, this faith imparted by the Spirit is, is the beginning of a Spirit-indwelt union with God that is intended to be the basis and means from which all the Christian life is lived out. Not law. Early on, these Galatians seemed to grasp that. They were doing very well. In fact, Paul says they were running well there in Galatians 5.7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This leaven of law-keeping, perfection, was, was, this was not from God trying to be perfected by the law. And it's only produced this biting and devouring we see there in chapter or verse 15 in which Paul follows with the real answer for living the Christian life. Walk by the Spirit, verse 16. And in doing so, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which is what all this law-focused living was producing. Don't seek to live out your Christian lives by the power of your own flesh. That's a fruitless venture, Paul is saying. It's a vain exercise. By derailing yourself from Spirit-led life and, and moving into a life of law-keeping, flesh, flesh, Paul equates it to flesh, you only end up producing the works of the flesh. And beginning in verse 19, Paul begins to list such works as a sober, really with a sober reminder that the doers of these works will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such works, it seems, some of them were manifesting. I mean, these, some of these folks were in very dangerous ground. And brethren, what we don't want to do with passages, and I, I talked about this when we went over it, but what we don't want to do with passages like that is come alongside them and plant our perseverance of the saints flag. Or our once saved, always saved flag. Or eternal security flag. We, we don't want to do that and completely strip such passages of the warnings and real danger that they declare to us. Listen, if your life is lived out walking in the flesh and not walking in the Spirit, what does this text tell you of your future? It's a very grave and dreadful warning, this is. It, but suddenly, Paul transitions here in verse 22 with a but without any explanation. It just goes directly into what a life lived out by the Spirit looks like. 
what it yields, the fruit it produces, which is, as I've emphasized as we've gone along, this is the Spirit's fruit. It's, it's which flows from God through us. We're essentially seeing God in this fruit, seeing His virtues, His, His attributes, His character. It is the study and contemplation of God that actually transforms us. See, brethren, we become as we behold. This is how God designed this work of redemption. In His wisdom, He determined that He will take that which has fallen, that which has been cut off from Him spiritually, that which is broken and void of any kind of virtuous qualities whatsoever, really that which is just completely contrary to Him and opposite to Him, I'm going to take such vessels and I'm going to rescue them and slowly make them like Myself by way of their study of Me. By way of Me granting them to see what they've been previously blind to and ignorant of, I'm going to transform them as they transfix themselves on Me. And brethren, there's no other way God does this. There's no shortcuts There's no seminar or class or conference or book that's going to shortcut God's methodology of sanctifying His people. It's by beholding Him, the Maker and Sustainer of all, that we are made like Him. That these fruits become a manifest reality in our lives. We become as we behold. Through His Word and through His providence working in our lives. And brethren, this is made possible because we have, we have the life. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, enabling, enabling these sanctifying changes to take place within us as we behold this most wonderful and glorious and yes, faithful God of ours. Completely leaning to Him, leaning upon Him as we go about our day. And this is what it means to walk by the Spirit. This is what Paul wants to drive home to these Galatians. This is what Paul wants to drive home to us. This is how we're to live out our Christian lives. And so now, we want to take up the subject matter, this attribute of God's faithfulness. And this one is personally precious to me. Um, The Lord has been so so faithful to me in the 33, 34 years of my Christian life. And uh, this pilgrimage I've been on, there's, if there's an attribute of God that jumps out to me as I pan over the years of my life in my own unfaithfulness and the many demonstrations of the Lord's patience with me and, and how long-suffering He's been with me and the numerous pits that He's, he's lifted me out of time and time again and the times He stood by me when I sought to step out in faith and trust Him and honor Him. Faithfulness is a banner that shines brightly above His throne to me. You know, us, us Reformed folk, if we, wanna, if we would call ourselves that, we tend to get all excited and elevate the God's attributes of holiness and sovereignty, and you know, rightly so to, to some extent. But, but how often do we give thought to God's faithfulness? How much do we elevate this attribute of God as we consider it? I trust we will find how indispensable it is. 
And like goodness, there's just a, so many directions that this message could go that we could take this. Endless are the examples and Scripture that set forth God's faithfulness. But I just want to begin by giving us a taste of them. The Psalms. I, I, I never noticed this before. The Psalms are <laughs> they're a faithfulness proclamation fest. I mean, all over the place. Like no other attribute. God's faithfulness is all over the Psalms. And what's interesting is what I also noticed when I was going through this, it's most often coupled with mercy. Or steadfast love as the ESV translates it. I actually prefer the translation mercy because steadfast love does not communicate as clearly the undeserved nature of God's favor toward us as mercy does. At least not to me. Remember last week we looked at Moses' encounter there with God at Sinai and those famous words that were uttered by Yahweh in, in Exodus 34.6 when the Lord passes by him. Remember what he said? He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in mercy and faithfulness. There it is. That's why the Psalms have those two connected. This is who God is. This is how He reveals Himself to us. And that abounding attribute abounds in Scripture. Just listen to these Psalms. I mean, these aren't, I don't even know if they're even half of them. Psalm 25:10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. I mean, God summarizes the pathway that He puts His people on when He saves them as a pathway that is mercy and faithfulness. Surely goodness and mercy, right? Follow me all the days of my life. Because we're on that path of mercy. We're on that path where God's faithfulness keeps us. Is with us. Psalm 40, verse 10. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your mercy and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, I will not restrain you. I mean, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your mercy and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. That's Psalm 40, 10 and 11. Christian, God is currently working what He's working in your life to this end. To demonstrate His faithfulness so that you will in turn declare His faithfulness to others. Part of the good that God works when He's working all things for our good is ordering the kind of providence that ultimately yields the proclamation of His faithfulness to this world around us to those in your life. I have spoken of your faithfulness, David says, your salvation. I have not concealed your mercy and your faithfulness from the great congregation. We just saw an example of that, right? Wednesday night. Part of the reason why God allowed Selah to fall out of a tree 
And so James could stand up here and praise God for His mercy and faithfulness to him and his family. It would have been wrong for James to conceal that, right? If the Lord shows us mercy and, and, and faithfulness, we best not be quiet about it, brethren. I mean, there's psalm after psalm of this proclamation. It would be a great dishonor to him. He does such things so that we will in turn declare His mercy and faithfulness to us. Psalm 57.3 He will send from heaven and save me. He will, put, he will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out His mercy and His faithfulness. Again, this falls in line with what I just stated. God brings certain challenges, certain difficulties, certain sufferings, certain afflictions, even enemies into our life so that He can dispatch His rescuers, as it were, mercy and faithfulness. And you, in turn, boast of God's faithfulness to others, the greatness of His faithfulness. Psalm 69.13, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, and an acceptable time, O God, and the abundance of Your mercy answer me in Your saving faithfulness. Appealing to God on the basis of His revealed character of mercy and faithfulness is often something we find the psalmist doing. We as God's people should follow suit. Right? Praying to God. That for his mercy's sake, his, his faithfulness' sake, he answer. Psalm 86:15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy and faithfulness. David repeating these revelatory words to Moses here in Psalm 86. Psalm 89, verse 1. I will sing of the mercy of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Again, the song and declaration of God's people is making known His faithfulness. Psalm 92.2 It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your mercy in the morning and your faithfulness at night. <laughs> do you do that, Christian? Declare God's mercy in the morning and faithfulness at night. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 115.1 Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your mercy and Your faithfulness. And those are, like I said, those are just a few handful of psalms that speak to God's faithfulness. And brethren, those are just the psalms. I didn't check, but God's faithfulness has to be one of the most predominant themes of God's character in Scripture. And it regularly, it regularly declares the faithfulness of God, extols the faithfulness of God in song and praise, and bids us to trust and the faithfulness of God. I just finished reading um, Jeremiah. Boy, that can be a rough book. And I finished it this last week. But you talk about an example of faithfulness in Scripture. Tra just transitioning for a moment here from God to man. 
Jeremiah was the epitome of faithfulness in a land where there was utter unfaithfulness. I mean, things were so bad. The Lord told Jeremiah, you're going to have the gift of singleness. You're not not getting married, my my man. No, no, No wife, no children whatsoever is going to be in the picture. I'm not calling you to do any of that because they're going to end up dying by the sword. If they're not dead by the sword, they'll die of some deadly disease. Not to be lamented, not to be buried. They'll be cast in the streets and made food for birds. I mean, the judgments of Jeremiah were brutal. You talk about a book just warning after warning after warning and pronounced judgment after judgment after judgment and God's judgment was certain. There was no turning away from it. In fact, the Lord's appeal to Israel through Jeremiah was submit to it. Judgment's coming. Submit to it and embrace it. Embrace my judgment that's coming through the hands of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And if you do, if you do submit and surrender to them, then I might may extend you, I will extend you some measure of mercy. But if you resist and you respond with stiff neck rebellion and seek to fight against Babylon or run to Egypt for help, know this I will completely annihilate you. Be it sword, be it famine, be it pestilence, this thing will not end well. I mean, you get a good taste of what the end is going to be just in the book of Jeremiah. And he was faithful. As hard as that was, he was faithful. He looked straight in the eyes of his people and delivered God's Word numerous times to a very idolatrous, unjust, God-hating people. And of course, that message is not very popular to a, a patriotic, proud Jews and who thought themselves to be something, thought themselves to be God's people, thought themselves to be in some kind of favor with Him. So they rebelled against Jeremiah. They appealed to King Zedekiah. Uh, this man, this man's not speaking God. He's not speaking truth. He, he should be put to death. He speaks against the people. He's seeking to do the people harm. So they end up throwing Jeremiah in this large cistern full of mud, and but the Lord providentially gets him out. But it was a time of great sorrow and suffering and devastation, and this is why he's known as the weeping prophet. You imagine being subjected to that? You imagine that being God's will for your life? You're not going to get married. You're going to have children. You're going to go preach to a people who won't ever listen to you. We're going to mistreat you, throw you in a cistern of mud. They won't receive anything you have to say. He was a type of Christ. Overcome with the grief of His people. Jesus, just like Jeremiah, He looked over Jerusalem, weeping in tears, realizing the judgment that was awaiting them in His departure. A city who heard much truth but rejected it. And after three raids by the Babylonians and Judah's continued rebellion, in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes rolling into town and completely levels the place. Jerusalem. Brethren, Jerusalem, the epicenter of, of, of Judaism. Where the temple dwelt, where God dwelt with His people. The revered place wiped out. 
The king's house burnt down to the ground. The, the city walls destroyed. Bodies of the slain covering the streets. And Jeremiah bearing witness to this, realizing those who somehow escaped, though they were very few, he rises from the ashes of this great woeful scene and he says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. That's what he saw. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The ESV says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His, his mercy never comes to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Young's literal translation, the, kindness, the kindnesses of Jehovah. For we have not been consumed. For not yet ended have His mercies. Every morning, new every morning, faith, abundant is thy faithfulness. What an amazing perspective by Jeremiah. In the teeth of such horrific, disheartening providence, God uses His enemies to completely wipe out His own covenant people. Jeremiah seeing what they deserved, seeing what God spared himself and a handful of others, cries out, "Is of the Lord's mercies were not consumed." Because His compassions fail not, they're new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. Jeremiah is standing there in the midst of all this devastation and smoke fumes and dead bodies. And he sees the faithfulness of God. Gripped by the faithfulness of God. That's amazing to me. And we can get so bent out of shape if Google doesn't tell us to turn right or left in time. Spurgeon commenting on this verse says, it is true that God's people are a tried people, but it is equally true that God's grace is equal to their trials. It is quite true that through much tribulation they enter the kingdom of God, but then they do enter. And the thought of the kingdom that is coming sustains them in their present tribulation. They wade through the waters of woe, often breast deep, but the billows do not and shall not go over them. They shall still be able to sing even in the midst of the tempest. I would suggest to any here who are in the habit of complaining, and I would remind you that it is a very bad habit, and to any of you who have become chronic murmurers that this temper of mind is exceedingly sinful, while on the other hand, the remembrance of God's mercy and grateful talk about it is a virtuous habit one which is honoring to God as well as strengthening and profitable to our own souls. Imitate Jeremiah then. And if you can find no comfort in your present outward circumstances, meditate on the unfailing mercies, and I would add faithfulness, of God. God's faithfulness. Really, brethren, it is the foundation upon which we place all our confidence as Christians. It's that which we anchor our trust in when the battles rage, when the affections fail us. In fact, all the other fruit-bearing expressions of God's character, His love, 
His kindness, His goodness, they lose much of the wonder and luster and glory if they're just temporary. Right? I mean, if they just flow from a being who's fickle and erratic and he's vacillating, if they flow from a being who's unfaithful, if God were, were one who just easily changes his mind or he frequently changes his mind based upon your performance, we, we would all be hopeless. But God's faithfulness makes all the other truths of God shine forth with glory. It, it does. Well, when we get to the New Testament, similar to the Old, but more, more explicitly the case in the New Testament, we, the word for faithfulness and the word for faith is actually the same Greek word. It is the word pistis, which can mean a firm belief, conviction, persuasion of a thing, faith. Or it can mean one who's credible, reliable, one who can be relied upon or trusted in. One who keeps their word, who's, who's firmly constant and not given to arbitrariness or fickleness or, or quitting. This is what it means to be faithful. Dependable, reliable, loyal, trustworthy, true. And, and how the New Testament writers use the word pistis in the context of its use determines how it is translated in our Bibles. And this feeds into all kinds of controversies of translation that I really don't want to get into here. In fact, I did so back in Galatians 2.16 that Matt quoted earlier today where folks who seek to push the new perspective of Paul try to convince us that the word translated faith there should be faithfulness. And there I, po- I pointed out that the inter- that interpretation lends itself to all kinds of corrupt ideas about justification. Very damaging. But unfortunately, this is not the only place where translators differ. King James renders here, pistis, faith in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is faith, which I would take some issue with because faith, while it, yes, it is a product of the Spirit, it is. However, it seems rather apparent from the context, Paul is putting together a list here of what the Spirit manifests through us. Faith that results, or fruit that results from faith, not faith itself. Paul already establishes the Spirit was received through the hearing of faith back in chapter 3, right? And so here in 5, he's establishing the fruit of that faith. Our faith does not produce faith. Our faith produces faithfulness in our walk with God. In fact, we're explicitly told in Scripture, faith produces steadfastness, which is a synonym of faithfulness. But suffice it to say, because they're one and the same word, you cannot possess biblical faithfulness without having saving faith. And you cannot have faith without the fruit of faithfulness flowing from it. And no one, and I mean no one on earth, exhibited the fruit of faithfulness like our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He who left the abode of heaven to take on human flesh. I hope 
we don't get too familiar with that. I hope we don't become unawed by that reality. You realize He did that forever going forward to be the God-man. I mean, that, that in itself is astounding. To be God who cannot be contained and to become something you created. Not just something you created, but something you created that's fallen away and is contrary to you. I mean, what is that? Scott read it. I'm a worm. That's, that's Jesus' testimony of Himself hanging on the tree. I'm a worm. The living God in human flesh. I'm a worm. We're the worms. But He became a worm for us. I'm a worm and not a man scorned by mankind despised by the people. He made Himself of nothing, Scripture says. That always gets me, that phrase. He made Himself nothing. That's an accurate statement. To be a worm is to be nothing. He made Himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being in the likeness of men, humbling Himself in obedience to the Father in every single thing the Father called Him to do. Everything even a torturous death. Completely faithful to the Father's will and every purpose designed. Fully surrendered. Fully devoted to His cause. No half-heartedness. No, no waywardness. No changing His mind. None of that. Faithful to the end. Peter calls Him the faithful Creator in 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. In Revelation, He's called the faithful and true. He calls Himself the faithful and true witness. And brethren, we're called to be the same. Christians should be increasingly loyal Reliable, dependable, true people. Because Jesus was and Jesus is always. And this is the great need of our day in this day for the church in our day. Faithful people. People simply committed to faithfully serve their God by serving others. I mean, we live in a culture that is rampant with unfaithfulness. Just like Jeremiah, really not any different. People not committed to thus saith the Lord, although they call themselves the Lord's people. Not committed to do His will, but committed to themselves in their own self-will. And Jeremiah, I find just such an encouraging brother. Because placed right there in that most undesirable place in the midst of judgment, in the midst of such rebellious, wayward, wayward people, his own kinsmen, I mean, such sorrow and grief, deaf to the words of God, just regarding them as the words of man. I mean, the loneliness that Jeremiah must have felt 
didn't have many friends. I mean, what a burden he had to bear. But this was God's will for him. And you wonder how much his faith wavered in those years. I mean, decades. And yet he commits himself to serve his God faithfully, no matter the cost. And it did cost him. cost him much. He doesn't look for the next ticket out of town. Oh, I'm going to go to Damascus and avoid all this. The grass is greener over there. No, God said, you stay here and you do this and you be faithful in it. And Jeremiah was and he did. Hudson Taylor said, and he said it well, God's not looking for men of great faith. He's looking for common men to trust His great faithfulness. And that's what Jeremiah did. In fact, he was so convinced of the faithfulness of God, that's why he was the weeping prophet. He knew. He knew what was coming. He knew God to be a man of His Word. A God of His Word. He knew what He said He was going to accomplish. He didn't just talk things. He was, he was a doer of what He said. He was faithful to what He said. And brethren, awareness of God's faithfulness and His faithfulness to us is really the foundation upon which any of our faithfulness will ever flow. It's foundational to our faithfulness to Him. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There are some brethren here, I praise God for this. There are some brethren here, if I ask them to do something, I know they're going to do it. Why? Because they're faithful. That's why. Surely they will do it. I'm confident of that. God permitting, they will do it. Brother, we have some incredible promises attached to God's faithfulness. Now granted, every promise is attached to God's faithfulness because I mean, the Lord can't deny Himself. He is faithful. But there are some promises, I mean, just listen to these, these ones that specifically tie His faithfulness to the certainty of its fulfillment, of these promises. He, he pledges His faithfulness as a certainty for its fulfillment. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3, But the Lord is faithful... He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. What a promise to plead when the devil rears his ugly head. The Lord pledges to guard you against the enemy of your own soul. I mean, what a comfort that is for a Christian. And what a verse to run to when all the darkness seems to close in upon us and seems to draw near to us. We should take verses like this to the Lord. Remind Him of His promise. Trust Him to fulfill it. And stand back and watch Him do so because He's faithful. How about 1 Corinthians 10.13? No temptation has overtaken you such as common to men. You hear that, Christian? There's nothing about what you're going through right now or you have gone through or ever will go through that's unique to you. It's common. We all go through them. Same temptations. But listen to this. God is faithful. He will not let you. He 
will not let you, his child of God, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's a promise from a faithful God. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What an incredible promise. God's pledging His own character, His faithfulness, and His ability to sustain you and protect you and keep you from falling. Yes, falling into sin. What a promise. But it requires faith to believe His faithfulness. The faithfulness of God expressed there. God is faithful. He will provide. He will enable you to endure. He will. Just trust Him. His is to do. Ours is to trust Him to do. The Lord calls us to prove His own faithfulness by trusting in His faithfulness. <laughs> Just like in the case of Sarah, right? You remember Sarah? Barren for years. Promised a son. In Hebrews 11, 11 it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised now wait a minute wasn't sarah the one laughing in the tent when the lord was delivering his promise she was she was to her shame. But something, something happened to Sarah. Something happened to her after that rebuke. Something wonderful happened. She began thinking, and I'm sure she started doing a lot of thinking after she witnessed what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord fulfilling what He said He would do there. But I'm thinking he, she was dwelling upon those words that came right after that rebuke. Is anything too hard for the Lord? She started thinking about that. And she began musing upon the faithfulness of God that was demonstrated to her and her husband over all these years. How He was faithful to protect them and deliver them from Pharaoh. How He was faithful to protect them and deliver them from Abimelech. Time and time again, God's faithfulness was just sprinkled all over their life. Times when her and Abraham's faith were not so strong. In fact, it completely failed. But not God. He stood true. And she started thinking upon this and she started thinking upon that. And that's how the Hebrew writer can say as her thinking turned to trust. He can say she considered Him faithful who had promised. And you know what? When she did that, when that faith was established, when she considered God trustworthy, that's the moment she received power to conceive. And I wonder, I just wonder how many blessings we forfeit simply because we fail to consider God faithful to His promises. Brethren, we so greatly need to have our faith anchored into the faithfulness of God. I mean, there are some, there's some tough times coming ahead. Times that are surely going to try our faith. 
Times are going to require us to trust in the faithfulness of our God. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of fear in the air these days. In fact, it seems to me since COVID, the fear of man at large has just sort of continued to hang around at a very heightened level. I think that's part of the judgment of God. People are nervous. People are afraid. Not just afraid of disease, but of war, of money, of food, of inflation, of interest rates, of shootings, of shortages, of safety. You name it. Mankind at large is scared at something, at some kind of level about something. Gripped with fears, but not the fear of God. Are you Christian? Are you gripped with fears other than the fear of your God? We ought to be the least fearful people. Yes, fearful of God, but fearful of nothing else. Because if we truly trust in the Lord, we have nothing to fear. And we have great reason to trust in the Lord because He's revealed to Himself in Scripture, to us in Scripture and proven Himself into our, in our lives that He is abundantly faithful time and time and time again. And you know, when you're newly converted, you might not be, you're probably not overly impressed and amazed that God's faithless. You're, you're pretty caught up with His love and mercy and, and, and grace and, and rightly so. And you're thankful that He snatched you as a brand from the fire and, and you run in the strength of that for, for some time. But I tell you, the longer you live the Christian life, the more you discover this precious reality of this divine characteristic God is faithful. And the more times the Lord demonstrates His faithfulness, the more glorious and dear He becomes to us. You know, it's kind of like aging wine. just gets better and better over time. And that alone can be a great comfort and encouragement in seasons of suffering and discouragement and affliction. Samuel Rutherford, the, the wise Puritan, once said, when I'm in the cellar of affliction... I look for the Lord's choicest wines. And I would only add that one labeled faithfulness is very so sweet to the taste. I was uh, recounting, you know, preparing for this message, recounting the Lord's faithfulness, faithfulness to me over the years. And I could tell a number of stories, but I, Shirley and I were married only a year and a half. And um, we had Caleb. He was born nine weeks early. And in 1992, that was a little more serious than it is today. Nevertheless, it's, we all know it's, there's never any guarantees when it comes to life. And I remember the nurses taking me into the NICU. And um, showing me these one-pound babies. And uh, some of them were drug babies. Some of them were just early pregnancies, or early deliveries. And these babies just hooked up with hoses and, and tubes and uh, you know pick lines and monitors and 
alarms beeping and just it was all just so intimidating it was all just so overwhelming and in very peter-esque fashion i just lord help i'm going to need your help they were trying to prepare me for what was about to take place and he did he did in wondrous fashion we had caleb out of there in 31 days we wanted it to be sooner, but we had to wait for him to get to be five pounds. We had no idea the expenses we were going to incur for this didn't matter at the time. But we also had no idea that Medicaid in that day in the state of Michigan takes over the bill once it reaches 30 days in the hospital. <laughs> yes, praise the Lord. So we walked away from that experience with a healthy child and owing $46 for a private room. The Lord proved Himself so faithful to us during that time. Time would fail to tell of our move to Texas. The many jobs the Lord has miraculously provided for me in the past. The twofold crisis and greatest trials of my life with my wife over a seven-year span, 19 years of praying for her soul and many other answered prayers, one particular time of a prayer that took place in the basketball court there in Elmendorf, a heart cry conference in Romania, God just incredibly helped me there, my, my wife's cancer, the salvation of my children. I mean, the Lord has, has slowly built His resume in my life. And as He's done so, it slowly served to bolster my faith in His faithfulness. And that's what He's doing, Christian, in your life. It doesn't get easier, but our heart is enlarged by God as we move along this, this trek. We're enabled by His grace with our eyes enabled to see in a greater fashion than when we were first born into the kingdom of His great faithfulness to us. And so how does this correspond to the fruit of faithfulness, the Spirit's fruit of faithfulness in our own lives, in the life of this church? Well, in short, God's faithfulness is expressed to us and experienced by us when it is, it should result in in a reciprocation of faithfulness. A a giving back of our faithfulness to God. And a faithfulness to others. It should do four real brief things. It, It should make us obedient people. Just like Jesus was obedient to the Father and faithful to do His will, So we should be those who are regularly in the practice of obeying God's Word, walking in submission and obedience to His will for our lives. In fact, that's the primary objective of our lives. Lord, what is Your will? Not not what is my will. Now let me find a verse that, 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 that would seem to support my will. Christ's likeness is all about doing the Father's will. That should govern our lives, our, our decisions, our choices, our commitments, our time. And secondly, God's faithfulness should make us dependable people. 
people that can be counted on. Your friends and family and coworkers should be able to depend upon you if you're a Christian. Can, can, can your supervisor at work depend upon you in all circumstances? He should be able to if you're a follower of this faithful Savior of ours. Your spouse, your parents, your brother or sister, they should regard you as a dependable person. Paul tells the Corinthians, it is required of stewards stewards that they be found faithful or trustworthy. In the context there, Paul Paul is speaking of Paul being a steward of the mysteries of God, but that, that text has broad application. We should be trustworthy and dependable. In, in Colossians 4 and I, I like that. Paul calls Tychicus our faithful and beloved brother. Wouldn't you love that reputation? What a reputation to have. Someone, someone that you can depend on. And brother, we should all strive for that. Number three, God's faithfulness should make us people of truth. God is true. He keeps His Word. In fact, that has significant ties to His faithfulness. We read it, 1 Thessalonians. I quoted it, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful, surely He will surely do it. Why? Well, because He said He will. That's why. And we should be like Him. When we speak, brethren, we need to back it up. We need to keep our Word. We need to surely do it if we say we will do it. That's what faithfulness does. It does what it says it'll do. And brethren, we should be people that speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful, they're regarded, right? Almost seems contrary. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Well, even, even when it's most uncomfortable, and it usually is, we should speak truth to people when it's something that might cause them pain, when it's, when it's a situation where there's sin, or there's, there's, there's a word that's needed in their life, it might be uncomfortable. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. That wound will actually bring healing to them spiritually. And so if the Spirit of God is conforming me more into the image of God, that should reveal itself in me being a truth teller, right? Speaking the truth in love, backing up what I say when I say it, Keeping my word, being an honest person, and me regularly, faithfully speaking that which is true. And then lastly, God's faithfulness should make us faithful people. I mean, there's no worse testimony in Christianity than that of being unfaithful. Unfaithfulness. I mean, the person who easily turns towards sin because the pastor is not around. Or mom and mom and dad are, are not not present. They're not looking. Other Christians are are not around. Such a person is not seeing the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness when you see it. I mean, when you really see it. When you really see how faithful God has been to your soul, it's life-changing. It's no light matter. He just kind of rolls off your back. You just quickly forget about it. No, it, it holds transforming power. God's been faithful to my soul. I, I feel compelled to be faithful in return. 
That's the effect of it. It's the effect of those who encounter it. In fact, as I've already stated, the more and more God reveals Himself to me in Scripture as a faithful God, and the more and more I experience His own faithfulness to me in my own life, this should produce an ever-growing pattern and development of faithfulness in my own walk with God, in my own life and interaction with others. This should produce the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that You're faithful. Because Lord, we confess we're not. And You know it. Even the, the, even the most revered Lord, even Abraham, the friend of God, Lord, he had his moments. Moments where he broke down in trusting Your faithfulness. We do too, Lord. Uphold us. Help us. Lord, thank, we're so thankful we can look. Lord, I don't know. Uh, Lord, whatever, whatever age we are in You, Lord, however many years You've saved us, we, You've given us these chapters in our life to look back on and just see how faithful You've been to us. And Lord, we pray You'd, you'd give us more chapters. And Lord, reveal Yourself to us in Scripture. Help us not be blinded to and hardened by Your incredible faithfulness. Lord, that's what happened to Israel. That's the great danger. Oh, Lord, let us not take our eyes off You. We pray You'd bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.